You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 118, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine-Year Streak. Without a bad day, he is Benjamin Solak. Follow him at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Hello. Ben, what about M-I-N-K-A-H? I've been really trying to think of like funny wordplay bring Minka here. It's not going well because (laughs) Minka is not really an easily, I think, wordplayable name. The Fitzpatrick thing, like, oh, Fitzmagic, but actually Fitz, Fitz, the real Fitzmagic, the good player. Right. Please. You know, not the bad quarterback. Minka Fitzpatrick is reportedly on the trade block for Miami, which... Probably, you know, the best way to understand Miami is that nobody's off the table. And everybody wants to leave. Right. And I would would imagine that, like, the order of players in terms of on-tableness is, like, Xavier Howard is the least reachable corner, long-term extension. That contract. And then right behind him, I would probably say, is Minka Fitzpatrick. Mm. Now, the report from Chris Mortensen of ESPN... Last night, the Dolphins have granted permission to defensive back Minka Fitzpatrick to seek a trade according to multiple sources who say Miami's asking price is too high. Dolphins have no comment. Uh, and then he subsequently followed that up. Dolphins team official now tells at Cameron Wolf that they are not actively shopping Fitzpatrick, but did not deny they have been gi- they have given agent Joe S- Joel Siegel permission to talk with other teams. Siegel has been unavailable for comment, but other NFL teams have confirmed contact. So we know that people are at least able to talk about Minka Fitzpatrick being traded. Yeah. I will say that Joel Siegel, you may remember, is the agent who helped broker a massive Khalil Mack trade last year when Khalil Mack was another young, untouchable defensive player. So this is not, uh, you know, Siegel being out hunting for an offer is not a small thing. That matters. The asking price was rumored too high by teams that Mortensen spoke to. Benjamin Albright, an insider from Denver, who we've referenced before on this show, also shared last night that he's being told Finn's asking for a first for Minka Fitzpatrick, but will likely settle for a second. Which is wild considering that Minka and the price should be high because he's a very good player. You're kind of guaranteeing that you're going to hit on whatever pick that you send out. And Minka was an 11th overall selection. They, right. They love him. <laughs> they, this, and this is, this is the thing is like, you tell me the last time a top 15 pick in his sophomore year went on the market. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like, that's very irregular. I'm, there probably is some sort of hypothetical. I mean, Josh Rosen is a hypothetical for sure. But 
or example, I should say, not hypothetical. Josh Rosen is an, is an example, but obviously the Rosen situation had with it the, the change in coaching staff. So does this Minka situation. The, the fact that Minka's not a quarterback kind of obfuscates, muddles the situation a little bit. But for an, uh, an 11th overall pick who has played one good season, not like he played bad, good football season mm-hmm. to go on the market is very peculiar, right? So if, if we're talking about a first-round pick, for Minka Fitzpatrick straight up. If that's our hypothetical, oh, that feels like a lot, doesn't it? Well, I'll put it to you this way. Fitzpatrick's going to be a 23-year-old safety corner hybrid who had great film, great intangibles, good measurables. You wouldn't draft that player at 24 overall? <laughs> Absolutely right? like, let's assume Let's assume the Eagles pick is in the playoffs, so it's after 20. Yeah. After 20, if you're getting a 23-year-old, it's so a little old you know, for a rookie, but that's like a senior. Yeah. 23-year-old defensive back. With great intangibles and versatility in your back end, you would make that pick right now. One hundred times out of hundred, there's no question. Right. So if if you view the the transaction as a pure draft, agnostic of the fact that Fitzpatrick's coming in with a year of NFL experience, so the game won't be too fast for him and he should transition right away. Agnostic of the fact that because he already signed a contract with the Dolphins, you're paying him basically less than half of what his actual contract was for being selected at eleventh overall. Already, it's good value to trade 24 overall for him. Hypothetical first round pick of the Eagles if they make it, you know, into the wild card round. Right. We even think it's going to be better than that. It's going to be a later pick. Yeah. If it's not a first, if it's later, if it's a second and a player, Vaitai in a second. Are you kidding? <laughs> I'm all over it. <laughs> yeah. Right. So very talented player. I brought up the contract a little bit. It's important to remember, you know contracts are written according to the rookie wage scale where you're picked determines how much you're paid fitzpatrick was picked at 11th overall four year 16.4 million dollar deal 10 million of which was guaranteed via signing bonus yeah which means Mm -hmm. that it's prorated over four years 2.5 million in each year the dolphins have already paid 2.5 million of it if they trade him they are still responsible for the prorated signing bonus money that signing bonus money that minka fitzpatrick got is from the dolphins it is on the dolphins cap it does not leave so the eagles pick up the remaining 6.4 million right which 500,000 of it was already paid last year so it's just under 6 million for three years yeah two million dollars per year for an 11th overall pick at a position, safety or corner, that your defense needs. Am I, are we speaking the same language here? Absolutely. If this is legit, it is a no-brainer. You often hear us like buck against trades. Like You won't hear me pounding the table for trades. I didn't do it for Antonio Brown. I didn't do it for a big signing for Le'Veon Bell. I didn't do it for Jadavion Clowney, even though I love the player. I would absolutely 100% pound the table for this trade right now. It makes too much sense. The contract, the player, I mean, I I think part of the reason that he wants out of there is he wants to go play for a winner. Guy comes from Alabama. You win championships there, and he would want to go to a winner as well, I'm assuming, and they kind of do that in Philadelphia. So from a need perspective too, from a long-term view, all of it lines up and makes a ton of sense. There's really not much for me to. I mean, what what do, what wouldn't make sense about this trade? You're guaranteeing that you're right. hitting on whatever pick or picks you ship out. I will take that every single time. Period. Right. And the last point on Minka that yeah I think deserves a, a, a hammering home, if you will. Fitzpatrick is he a safety? Is he a corner? Fitzpatrick, does he want to play safety or does he want to play corner? Right. Right. These are these are questions that have been asked in terms of like you know pumping the brakes on the trade. I think it's very important to step beyond positional designations and just circle roles. Fitzpatrick is one of the best zone defending 
defensive backs I've evaluated. I haven't evaluated for very long, but he's one of the best zone defense. This guy came out of the same class as Derwin was drafted above Derwin James. Hmm. Think he's a bad football player? Think he <laughs> no. doesn't have really good trans? Like, I mean, you know, obviously Derwin was underdrafted, but Minka at 11 was also surprising to people. People thought both of them were top 10 picks. Correct. Fitzpatrick's one of the best zone defending defensive backs I've ever seen evaluated the awareness top five guy for me route combination recognition coming from that alabama system yep instinct and ball skills yep so he's a great zone coverage player check check in philadelphia's defense (laughs) if you play corner or you play safety guess what you're gonna end up in zones Mm. if you want to put him at a deep zone put him as an outside corner you want to get him in a short zone put him as put him at put him outside corner or deep safety you want to put him in a short zone put him at a slot corner in the box right but in philadelphia's defense you're gonna play zone so the trait's going to translate regardless of what you call him. It's not like if you call him a corner, he suddenly gets better at man coverage or worse his zone, right? <laughs> Philadelphia's team, deep zones or short zones, I prefer him in deep, but it doesn't really matter. He's great in both. Yeah. Get him on the field. If you label him a corner, that, that doesn't mean you can't drop him into a deep zone ever. Right. Well, I mean, I mean, does it mean it? The Eagles line up their corners <laughs> 10 yards off the doggone ball. They're We're already in about zone. this, right? <laughs> Now, in a man coverage perspective, he's not the quickest dude in the, in the face of the planet, but he's really strong. He's really smart. He has great ball skills. He's very physical. He's very competitive. So, viewed, uh, primarily used as a slot corner by the Dolphins in year one. That was what his best performance was for uh, PFF evaluated him and said his best performance is in a slot corner. A lot of people who watched him said his best performance is as a slot corner. There's no reason that a good slot corner can't play boundary corner mm. except for like those instances in which the slot corner is like five nine a buck seventy and Mika Fitzpatrick is not five nine a buck seventy. And even then that designation is falling away because of the amount of big slots that are developing in the league. So if if Fitzpatrick was a good slot corner, I'm here to tell you he could be a good boundary <laughs> corner. Right? Coverage is like you know uh, this is reductive, but coverage is coverage. You know what I mean? Like let's not you know, make make too much out of a thing here. You mentioned PFF, if I can jump in. They just now, as we're recording, dropped an article with the best fits for Mika Fitzpatrick. Cleveland Browns were one of them. Houston Texans were another. New Orleans Saints were the third. Top of the list for them was the Philadelphia Eagles. So I think other people see what we are saying here. Overwhelmingly <laughs> the best fit. Philadelphia, Mika Fitzpatrick models his game after <laughs> Malcolm Jenkins. Right. What are we doing? Yeah. So, and Easy. so the thing is, like, if, if Fitzpatrick really comes into the building, having just gotten traded to a Super Bowl contender, potentially a Super Bowl favorite, and tries to hit an ultimatum about, well, I, I'm playing corner. That's what he said, is I want to be a corner. First, I don't think he's going to. I think he's going to get traded to the hometown team he grew up loving, the Eagles. He grew up in Middlesex County. Yep. He, he, this is his idol, Malcolm Jenkins, playing in front of him. So I don't think he's going to walk in and start making demands. <laughs> but even if he does, sure, brother. Go for it, yeah. You go play yourself some corn. I ain't got no problem. That's just, where I need some help. Just glad to see you. If not, I've got two Malcolm Jenkins on the field playing safety. Right. Guess what? Malcolm Jenkins does a fair bit of man coverage, just plays a fair bit of corner-style reps. Put Minka over tight ends, over slot receivers. I, ain't, I Again, I ain't got a problem. Mm-hmm. Fitzpatrick is incredibly versatile, does a ton of different things really, really well because he's such a smart player and such a hard worker and such a tough competitor so for philly this is great news if he's available there are so few players where you say just trade a first straight up and it's even shorter or less when it's not quarterbacks fitzpatrick is one of them especially for the eagles and if a deal gets done that that includes that price tag and it's not by philly i'll be upset and confused i agree with you 100 the eagles should definitely be inquiring about minka fitzpatrick so we agree on that, your piece on bleedinggreennation.com details that more as well. Got a little hype from from the people over at ESPN. Look at you, look at you go. Ben's a big star. 
He's going to be leaving us soon for his big national gig. Not necessary. <laughs> a Philly Kevin Nagandi, yeah. a Philly guy, yeah. falls between green. Read uh-huh. the read the Mika Fitzpatrick post, right. which I wrote at three a.m. <laughs> this is very important to remember. Grinder. Yeah, and 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 I really he shared. I really appreciate that. That was kind of him. This is what it must be like to just get like really excited about every potential trade block guy, right? Because I'm like so jazz right now. Like Minka's coming to Philly. I'm buying a jersey. Like you know. So this is how time. everybody feels about every every time there's any kind of rumor that it's it's got to right. be such a wave of emotion. Like this this is the first one I felt in a while. Like we got it. We got to go get this guy. Okay. So we covered the Minka thing. You know where we stand on that. What you need to know is where we stand on how this Eagles offense is going to deal with this Atlanta Falcons offense defense. Did you get it right? Defense. No, I said offense. No, offense. one and one. <laughs> offense and offense. So we're one and one. So let's reset there. Eagles offense against the Falcons defense. On the Kiss and Hello. Solak show 117 from earlier this week, we flipped it. We did the Eagles defense against the Falcons offense. So go back and listen to that to catch our two-part series and get everything in full so you can be prepped up for the game. So the first thing that we'll do is some house cleaning. The injury report we're recording on Thursday at 3.20. So what I the most recent thing I have is from Wednesday, but we do have some updated news as we kind of go through this. The official reports aren't out, but we know for a fact that Derek Barnett and Fletcher Cox were full participation. So Cox is upgraded uh-huh. from limited to full with a toe issue. Still limited is Nate Sudfeld, uh, Kamugurje Hill, and Jordan Mailata are out as far as we know. Uh, as of Wednesday, the Falcons injury report included new addition Kenyon Barner, who we know, former Eagles legend. He's dealing with an ankle. Also, Russell Gage remains in the concussion pro- protocol. He was limited. Also limited the same two offensive linemen from yesterday was Matt Gano and Wes Schweitzer. And then also DeAndre Sonat. And I kept saying Wednesday, but that's the Thursday injury report. So I'm struggling a little bit here, Ben, but we're going to get it together as we get doesn't into this Doesn't know preview. the units, doesn't know the days, just <laughs> completely unprofessional. All these days run together, man. Like, I, I, I honestly don't even know. The beginning of the season is definitely kicking my butt. But we're doing great things here at BGN, so it's all for a good cause. Of course, if you haven't listened to the new Babes on Broad podcast with Sam Wilson and Jessica Town, make sure you've listened to that. Also, Jimmy Kemsky's debut for BGN on BGN Radio, episode number 80. Check that out. All right, so let's get into this Eagles offense against the Falcons defense. Ben, I mean, the first thing that I noticed, and we've been talking about it all morning, from the Falcons defense, and if you want a visual for this, the great friend Duffy has some videos up on his timeline, but the Falcons use sort of a modern-ish bear front. And quickly, before I get into this, I want to give a shout-out to the amazing Coach Vass, at Coach Vass on Twitter, that's V-A-S-S. He has a great podcast called Make Defense Great Again. And part of my prep for this show was listening to the episode with defensive coordinator from the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, Ron Roberts, the defensive coordinator there. So check out that podcast. I think it's episode number three. Check out Coach Vass on Twitter because his scheme stuff is invaluable. And he's he has fantastic guests on there like Don Brown and stuff. So all right, let's talk about this quote-unquote bear front from the Falcons. Instead of having a nose tackle and two three techs, the Falcons bare front tends to look like they have a nose who they can shade on either side of the center, depending on the strength of the formation. Then on either side of him, instead of two three techs, they're going to have two four eyes typically. So they're aligned between the guard and tackle, essentially, if you're trying to envision it in your head. You've also got two edge players wide. For instance, your Sam Backer might be at a nine tech on the tight end side. And the whole idea and why it's great against zone runs in theory is that you're clogging those interior gaps via alignment and also creating a wall 
on those edges. So you're soaking up blocks to allow your inside backers, in this case, Stevandre Campbell and Deion Jones, to free flow their way to the ball. And that's the big idea. You want the three guys up front occupying five. That's the math behind it. And when talking about Falcons, we've often talked about the need to get up to the second level for the offensive linemen to, to get those backers who yep. can wreak havoc on your game with their speed, but aren't necessarily stout when stacking blocks. So the Falcons are incentivized in that way to protect them via alignment and scheme. So how the Eagles can combat this in the run game and even in the pass game too. And Ben, we were talking about this when we were brainstorming before the show is by utilizing like tackle pools, which gap schemes involving tackle pools is a particular weakness of tight, mint, oaky, whatever you want to call it. And bare fronts plays like dart. As you pointed out to me, the Eagles ran a good deal of dart RPOs in 2017 the Vikings had great success with pin-pull concepts and really outflanked the Falcons' defense and locked up those linebackers that are supposed to be freed up by this front. So you can gap and pull them to death. So you could see the Eagles utilize tackles and guards pulling a good deal in the run game come Sunday, possibly some counters. They've run G lead before with success. Vikings had success with stretch G. By the naming, you could probably tell those are, are concepts including pulling guards. And then their dart and other similar type runs with quick passing concepts via RPO to put a linebacker in a bind where the linebackers can be late to fit if they're reading the running back flow, they can be late to their coverage assignments if they're the force player. So you get the idea there. So the front looks great when your nose wins. So can he force a double team is the big thing there. And can, for example, against zone in this case, can the backside 4-I win the B-gap and take away those cutback lanes against zone there? So there's a method to the madness for both sides. Ultimately, it comes down to executing, as with anything else, from what I know you're going to see uh, primarily on first and second down this bare front and how the Eagles handle it is going to be the difference in them, in my opinion, in succeeding in the run game or not, Ben. Wow. Okay. <laughs> what? Well, here's my thing. Yeah. And I don't I don't want to step. I don't want to ruin your parade. here. I don't want to rain on it. Fire away. I don't think the Falcons are going to play a bare front against the Eagles this week. Why not? They didn't last year and the offense is different. They did, the, the Vikings regularly gave six men on the line looks, seven men on the line looks. They had an F back back. They wanted to run wide zone, mm -hmm. right? They wanted to get Dalvin Cook flowing fast to the outside. They wanted to get a lead backer or a, a lead blocker, excuse me, up into the hole. And typically, as we've talked about on this podcast before, the goal for, you know, wide zone is not getting outside the entire defense. It's a hard thing to do. The goal is to stretch the defense horizontally and then get upfield inside that B-gap. Typically, B-gap is where a lot of outside zone teams like to make their money C-gap as well. So, what if, I, what if I told you that the Falcons ran this tight front or, or however you're calling it, this bare front, 19 times? In 2018, in week one. But the thing is, and so I right, so I went back and I watched the 2018 film. Did you go back and watch 2018 film? A little bit, yeah. They a lot of early downs, first and second downs, yeah. So that was on for early downs. Yeah, and mostly in the first half. Right. So they ran it. They they gave the look initially a lot, and then they could move it. Yeah, that's true. Right, and then they would bail out of it. Yeah. Right. So they would leave it at times, but when Philadelphia, who off of just week one data, we might call an 11 personnel spread team right now. Because Philly ran 11 personnel and then moved their tight end off the formation a lot, right? So giving a four wide look. I don't think the tight front makes a lot of sense for the Falcons to run in this context. Mm. Because the big issue, and I, I call it the tight front there, you can call it still the bare front if you want. 
the one of the big issues with putting a, a, a zero technique, a nose head up on the center, and then putting two three technique, four eye techniques inside uh, inside the tackle and between the guard and the tackle is that you're limiting your ability to get an outside pass rush unless you send five. Correct. Right. With Philadelphia, you have one technique, three technique, and then you're gonna have two guys at five and a seven or five and a nine getting outside of the tackles. Right. Mm. When we talk about those techniques, one technique, three technique, five technique, these are numbers that dictate the alignment of where a defensive lineman is relative to the offensive line. So a five technique, seven technique, they're all outside of the tackle. That's where you get your edge rush from. If you only want to rush four for the Falcons and you're starting out with a zero technique, a three technique, and a three technique, so three players inside the tackle, inside the inside the tackles, what mm-hmm. we might call in the guard box. Yeah. You're only getting one edge rusher unless you're sending five. And if you're sending five, you have to play man with a single high. And I don't think you want to play man with a single high against Philly. Yeah, and they they played a lot of man in week one with single high. We know they're going to be a single high team. I don't know if yes. they run as much man this week as they did last week. So good point. There. Right, which if you want to do that, Philly's going to send five into the route tree. So you got to drop seven. Yeah. It's going to be really hard to drop six and rush with five. And so... What 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 the Vikings were giving you in terms of loaded boxes led itself, lended itself to stacking that guard box, getting three players inside the tackles, and then having two rush backers on the line, right? And then they would they would they would go for the 46 front. They yep. would bring a strong safety down right over the tight end's head. Mm-hmm. He would be inside the edge rusher, sitting on top of the tight end. You've got eight player boxes yeah. on defense. Right, and this is what you can do against the Vikings when you only have Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs out wide, and everybody else is inside, right? Yeah. And the Falcons, rightfully or 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 otherwise, trusted you know Desmond Trufant to match up against Stephon Diggs for the whole game. They trusted Ricardo Allen, Isaiah Oliver to match up against Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs when they were in the slot, right? For all, for all ten passes, for all fourteen passing plays, yeah, no, that's right, true. exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which you know, so, so you know, questionable usage there. Regardless, the point here being, yeah, uh, to me, the deployment of the bear front by the Falcons was meant to take away the B gap on wide zone runs. It didn't work very well, but that was the objective. Hmm. I don't see that as being as necessary against the Eagles, so I don't see the front being used as frequently. To me, if, if they continue to show it, they'll bail out of it, and then you're putting one of Vic Beasley and Tack McKinley in coverage, and that's not a good <laughs> deployment of your, your your players. Yeah, sometime linebacker Vic Beasley, yeah. Right, and this team, and this is important, this team is not built to run that front. They got Alan Bailey playing three technique. That's a waste of Alan Bailey. I agree. No reason for that. And I don't think Tyler Davison can really force those double teams against Kelsey or right. against when he slants it into any of the guards or anything. Yeah. You have Dedrin Sanat on the bench because you need Tyler Davidson playing the nose. Yeah. Right. I would want to get Sanat and Grady out in penetrating roles. And I think that's what Dan Quinn wants as well. That's what they've done in the past. <laughs> they should have done it against the Vikings because they got torched. Right. Well, that's the thing. is like Grady Jarrett had four tremendous plays where he's cutting in the back door and he's penetrating upfield and he's disrupting flow. But, but other when than he that, couldn't win when his first step with anticipation and all that stuff. Sure. Everything was just going away from him. They were getting outflanked. Yeah, I agree. Right. And that's the thing is that like I have I, I, I like Dak McKinley a lot. Yeah, me too. I thought he played well. But if you're telling me I've got Dallas Goddard on Tack McKinley with flow strong side, yes, please, thank you, and fries on the side. Like, that's a win for me <laughs> in the book every day of the week. McKinley yeah. is not a thick player, and he is not great against the run unless he's upfield in the backfield, hmm. right? So you get your TFLs, I'll get my eight-yard runs, and we'll duke this out. So yeah. I don't know. I... I was surprised to see that look from a Dan Quinn coached defense. We have one game of data. Very well, this could be a a 
schematic change from the Falcons, a schematic change from Dan Quinn, a response to you know, the, the personnel that he's got on the field, trying to maybe unlock Vic Beasley a little bit more. Beasley's obviously, you know, been kind of deteriorating in play recently. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. And I mean, they they changed the usage last year up and down game per game. So that could be a kind of fuel of the right. week. This is the game plan type of deal. Yeah. It's objectively nice to get Tack McKinley and Vic Beasley a stand-up nines. Like, that's great. Like, tackles right. are not going to want that, especially against McKinley. Because mm-hmm. McKinley off the snap is a lightning bolt. You know, so, so that like that alignment is beneficial for sure. But I don't think that they have the right interior defensive line personnel for it. And I also think it puts them in susceptible spots in their coverage shells. I will say, mm. and I, I liked this point that you made a lot. It does wonders for their linebackers, yeah. right? Deion Jones lets him fly, right? And now the Vikings did a good job tagging Jones with tight ends and with fullbacks when they were on the run, when they were on the hoof, you know, dealing with the wide zone looks that they were getting from from. Dalvin Cook, but it keeps Jones clean of guards. And that's right. the thing is that, and you brought this up with the tackle pulling, three three defensive linemen inside the tackles, it's very hard to pull guards. Yep. It's very hard to get, you know, like the Eagles love to get Jason Kelsey moving. Well, I'll tell you right now, if the Falcons are going to play zero tech, three technique, three technique, they're not going to be able to move Jason Kelsey around that Correct. much. Right. Right. Yeah. It's going to be really, really hard to do so unless you're packaging that play with a bubble screen or an RPO or something like that. So yeah. this is the issue, right? This is the concern. The other thing that it does is it makes it insanely hard to run wham or trap which we also yep. know philadelphia wants to do so they can do it i just think it's going to screw them in the passing game if they yeah. do it against philly and Grady which Jarrett. obviously you know the vikings threw it 10 times i just think maybe carson Wentz is a little bit better than kirk cousins yeah exactly and look grady jarrett even no matter what they're playing grady jarrett has played the eagles wham and trap better than any other interior defensive lineman that i have ever seen them run it against so it's going to be a problem running it running that against him as well like i said one of the best processors in the game has a fantastic first step, violent hands. The guy is excellent in all phases of the game. So that's been our 15-minute chat on the bear front from the Atlanta Falcons. Which they may not even run. Which they may not run, or at least run maybe sporadically on early downs. We're going to talk about the passing game and some of the matchups there when we come back here on the Kist and Solak Show. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we're back on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 118, brought to you by SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. So we did we did our, our 12 minutes on Mika Patrick. We did our 15 minutes on the bear front. Let's get in 
to some of the other matchups in the passing game. We have Desmond Trufant probably lining up against Deshaun Jackson, Isaiah Oliver against Alshon Jeffrey. Now there's a 20 pound difference between Trufant and Oliver with Oliver being the bigger guy. So the obvious choice is to set that up there. The speed difference uh-huh. is obvious too. Trufant coming out of college, ran a 4.38. Oliver ran a 4.51, right? So if the Eagles can kind of play around with their formations and end up finding Oliver having to handle Jackson, he's going to have a heck of a time keeping up with the vertical speed and the quickness at the top of the route from Jackson, much like we talked about with Josh Norman, who found himself in some situations with Deshaun Jackson in week one. So those aren't set in stone. We don't know if they're going to travel with them, but we'll see on that. That's very intriguing. Then you've got Nelson Aguilar against Demonte Casey, and you're going to see a good deal of Zach Ertz up against Ricardo Allen, which is a big win for me for Ertz. That's one to watch. Ben, overall, like we talked about before, this is a single high defense in week one. A lot of man coverage. We don't know how how much they'll run in week two against the Eagles. And we expect the Sagalai stuff to continue, but I'm not sure that they can run as much man coverage against the Eagles. For what reasons do you think they'll want to run more zone uh, on top of what you already said? And what matchups do you like here? So you might like, like the Falcons felt comfortable running man coverage against Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen. And there were only 10 passes, right? There were only 10 passes attempted. So you, you might say, why would they not want to do so against Philadelphia? And what it comes down to is it's not... Philadelphia's best two receivers against the Falcons' best two cover men. It's the Eagles' fourth and fifth best receivers against the Falcons' fourth and fifth best cover man. The running back targets have got to go out the window. Yeah. There's no reason to be throwing the ball to Miles Sanders and Darren Sproles when you have Deion Jones and Foyasade Olubicon chasing them around the field <laughs> and you can get Ricardo Allen on Zach Ertz, right? That's silly Bo right. Billy. Yeah. So I don't anticipate a big running back target game. Obviously, we know that a lot of that was because of checkdowns that. Carson was working too fairly quickly, and hopefully he'll be a little bit more aggressive, pushing the ball to his first read, even in the event of tight coverage. What you should expect, I think, more of is the Alshon Jeffrey game and the Zach Ertz game in terms of these are the players the Eagles like to work in the short, intermediate areas of the field, off of quick RPO concepts, off of one-step, three-step drops from the gun, win with leverage, quick-hitting play, not much yak, move the sticks, and this is kind of our version of a of a, of a, a, a short game, a quick game, even like buttresses the running game in the event that the, the play is a package play and there's a run attached to it and it's an RPO. Hmm. Those are the, the matchups I anticipate them attacking. Now, if and and when the Falcons respond with more, jo- more zone because they're sticking with a more traditional four-man rush, because they're sticking with a more traditional 4-2-5, sort of a defensive lineman and a front, to me, it is because Philadelphia is not going to load the boxes. They're going to have five offensive lineman, a running back quarterback, and that's it inside the box. It does not make sense to expend that extra body in between the tackles. And so you want to put him back in coverage and drop seven in zone. If and when they do, we know it's a cover three style of team. Mm -hmm. We know that's Dan Quinn and and the Seattle style defense. Of course, unlike Jim Schwartz, when the Falcons were in cover three, they run it with their corners up near the line of scrimmage. They want to run what, what you might call like a cover one press. Uh, cover three presses like other people have called it before but anyway their corners will not sit back there so what this leaves weak now is the deep outside areas of the field for a player like a Deshaun Jackson on a go route or for a player like an Alshon Jeffrey in a backside shoulder fade so throwing outside of the numbers is going to be important here and as a general rule avoiding the area of the field in which Keanu Neal is which is the middle of the field is good is good policy and we don't want to sleep on the fact that also when Neal's up at the line matching Zach Ertz, which is something that the Falcons have done in the past. Then you're putting DeMonte KZ back there. I also would like to avoid DeMonte KZ, who isn't as good of a pass coverage guy, but will take your top off. Um, They got some hitters in in the middle of the field. And so to me, Trufant, good player. Isaiah Oliver, growing player. 
Um, but those are the, the those are the matchups I want to be attacking on the deep outside. So Carson's going to be responsible for a lot of good placement throws outside of the numbers if you want to move the ball, throwing it against the Falcons. Obviously, the Falcons gave up a ton of rushing yards against the Vikings. I don't anticipate that being the case against Philly because it's going to be a much more traditional running look where it's going to be six man on a six man box. It's not going to be you know I mean the the the, the Vikings ran it thirty eight times. Yeah. They wanted to run the football, and that's that's the new mentality there. That's not the Eagles' mentality. The Eagles want to throw the ball around the yard. So to me, it's going to be three-step slant, five-step slant, quick hitch, Zach Ertz and Alshon Jeffrey stuff, and then it's going to be deep outside of the numbers things. I don't envision, you know, big crossers and, and, and Nelson Aguilar and deep overs and everything like that. Short, quick stuff, and then attack outside of the numbers. Take your one-on-one matchups where you can get them against the corners. And then if you find your matchup, you know, you check to something and you hit Deshaun deep. That's how I kind of see it going, too. And something that Mark Schofield brought up on the QB Schofield show this week was he was very impressed with the timing and anticipation of Carson Wentz. He talked about a first and 10 throw that he had to Alshon Jeffrey on a curl route where it was a hit and throw. You know, you hit that third step. There's no hitch and you just get it out with anticipation before that receiver can get out of his break. Do you agree with Carson's kind of feeling the the rhythm of the offense a little bit better in week one than maybe he was at certain points last year? Well, sure. I mean, in the sense that, you know, the more comfortable you feel in the pocket, the better you're able to marry your feet and your drops to the routes of the receivers. And that's what we talk about. We talk about being in rhythm and being in timing. It's my three-step drop, my five-step drop is in rhythm and is in time with the 12-yard cut, the 15-yard cut of my receiver. And so the ball is coming out as he's cutting. We're throwing with anticipation. It starts with the feet, something that Carson Wentz has worked on for multiple years since he came out of North Dakota State. Uh, and, And definitely something that you've seen market improvement on. I also think that Carson, who's a sublime arm strength and then great at throwing from adjusted platforms, has always been and will continue to be able to get away with not doing that, right? Mm. So like the whole like Carson in the rhythm of the offense thing to me is just a trigger thing. It's just Carson's always going to look at coverage. Like he'll look at, you know, the Deshaun Jackson touchdown where there was no one within a mile of him and be like, you know, if I scramble, I'd probably find a more open receiver. You know what I mean? Like he always <laughs> kind of has that. Yeah thing so for Carson it's always a trigger thing you gotta be willing to throw guys open against man coverage even if you think if you were to escape get outside the pocket create flow create a structure you'd probably get a more open guy like sure um but it's just it's a trigger thing some like you know and this is what we've always talked about with Carson don't be a hero you know sometimes other players got to go make the plays just put the ball somewhere where Alshon can go get for it get it and let Alshon make the big play on this play you'll go make a big play later you know Absolutely. And, and I had two bold predictions going into that game. If you remember, one of them was Andre Dillard catching a touchdown. And when they brought him in on that heavy set on the goal line, I thought we were going to see maybe some play action trickery, but we didn't get to see that. But my other prediction was that Carson Wentz would have a time to throw less than 2.4 seconds. I missed on that too, but it was at 2.44. So was wow, getting the ball out quicker. bad analyst. Fired. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into some predictions, Ben. Like I said before, uh, the line is at minus two for the Eagles. They are road favorites, and we have it at the over-under of 52 and a half. So we're just going to call it. We'll say that analysts are saying it's 27 to 25. Uh, do you think that the Eagles score over 27? And are you taking the total on the over or the under? Because you had the under for the Falcons offense at 25 points. So we're under that. What do you think the final score is? Yeah, I think the Eagles are over 27. I think the Falcons are under 25. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think the Falcons are a good football team who I like a lot. I may have picked them to be in the playoffs. I don't really remember. Um, but I think Philly's going to come out with some juice. I do not think that this team, which scored 25 points in the second half against the Redskins, is interested in coming out with another dull first half opener, especially for the issues that that was last year. 
you do not want to be just every week trying to play from behind. That's going to just become more and more exhausting. Yeah. You know, that's just like, you know, that, that that's going to become tiresome. No one's going to want to continue to like have to fight back from these deficits. So I expect a, a, a stronger start. And let's remember, I accurately predicted the slow start last week. So I'm one and oh in picks in yeah. my head. I don't know who is closer, but I won. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I think that it'll be a faster start for Philly. I think it's going to be another 30 plus point game for Philly um, because I, I think that they match up really nicely with the Falcons in the passing game. So I like Philly at like 34. I like Atlanta at like 21. Let's not forget that I predicted that the Eagles would be over 30 points in week one. You did not. So it's we're, we're tied. Uh, you picked what 30 how, what was your final score you gave them 37 38 to 7 yeah 38 and i gave him 27 i was closer shut yeah, up who cares i hit the over on 30 that was the big me? point i hit the over <laughs> anyway so I'm, I'm gonna take the under in this game actually i think uh not every assignment on every play goes to play and not every play that is there to be made is made but ultimately i think the eagles play the cleaner game overall and make the more plays in another close one that could swing on one or two plays just like the last three meetings with the falcons have gone falcons i don't believe are the week one team that we saw i still have zero faith in dirt cutter and that's why i think that i have to score the way that i do uh, i think it's 24 to 20 eagles so a little bit of a grinding game in the middle, middle of the portion i do agree that they do come out a little bit hotter than they did last week i freaking hope so so that's my prediction there ben anything else to add on uh on this preview show foyasade aluakon is a great player He's going to be really good for them for a long time. Linebacker out of Yale, sixth-round pick last year. Like him a fair bit. Alan Bailey was a free agent that they grabbed because Stephen Means went on IR. Now he's starting at 3-tech. <laughs> I mean, he was uh, a tremendous addition. He looked awesome in year one. Isaiah Oliver's got to tighten it up. He does. He struggled big time in week one yeah. in, the, in the limited The Young man's a good athlete, but he's got to learn that the first look the receiver has given you is to give you a second one. You got to calm down out there, brother. <laughs> Especially when um, you're against Adam Thielen. Like, that's going to yeah. happen, man. You got to stay that tight. That man's a route runner. Let's take a little <laughs> chill pill, shall we? Um, it's, a, it's a fun offense. Or, excuse yeah. me. It's a fun defense. Got some players. So that's going to do it for our preview. Both of our previews now of Eagles against the Falcons and Ben. Say goodbye to the gentle, gentle listeners. Hi. Thank you. What is this voice? Say it with I your don't chest, know. son. Things just happen when you tell me to to say goodbye. Just we start. Whatever it is, whatever it is. Why don't you start uh, with uh, telling them we're going to have them on the recap show? <laughs> as of this moment in the world, the Bleeding Green Nation radio podcast mm. on the top charts for sports podcasts on iTunes and my iTunes reloaded because I hadn't opened it in a while. So I'm going to have to make this longer than I did. All categories in sports. Um, we're doing it great. And it's a large part because of the additions. Jessica Town, Sam Wilson, starting the Babes on Broad podcast. Tremendous opening episode. Jimmy Kemsky of Philly Voice joining Brandon Lee Gowan as now a mainstay on BGN Radio Main Show. Tremendous edition. Hmm. We are 23rd right now uh, among sports we shows. Sl- which we slipped is- one spot. We did. We slept one spot. That being said, it is still pretty uh, pretty psychedelic that we're up there. 23 is a good spot. We're, we're, we we passed Dan Levitar. We passed around the NFL. We passed Steve Austin. Yeah, catch these hands, Steve Austin. <laughs> um, Stephen A. Smith still ahead of us. Bill Simmons still ahead of us. First take still ahead of us. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Whatever. Um, but we, we've, we've really enjoyed uh, uh, a strong first week of the season here in terms of having actual football to talk about. So we really appreciate that. Uh, of course, if you haven't listened to it, like I said, the new Babes on Broad show, if you haven't listened to BGN Radio with Kemsky, I encourage you to do so. And I also really encourage you to leave your feedback either on Twitter or via rating and a review. 
Monopoly is massive. The takeover is nearly complete. Just the amount of talent that we have here on the network allows us not only to cater to the average of our listeners, but to the spectrum of our listeners. We have something for everybody, and we're really excited about the quality and the depth of the coverage. Uh, So if you enjoy, like I said, rate, review, feedback, and of course, please subscribe to the show. I am Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He is Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Recap show. Eagles playing Sunday night, right? Yes, sir. Recap show at 3 a.m. on Monday morning. (laughs) I'm promising it so that Mike has to stay up and edit it. (laughs) You jerk. Uh, and then we will prepare for the Eagles week three opponent, which is the Green Bay Packers. Uh, That's week four, after... I think. God dang it. Who do they have? <laughs> after my after my snafu saying that the Eagles played the Jaguars, I'm, I'm on top of it. Lions. Okay, yeah. so yeah, we'll prepare for the Packers. No reason to prepare for the Lions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the most boring prep for the Lions, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so... You're ready for the Falcons. You're going to watch the Falcons game. You're going to listen to the recap show. Then we're going to break down the All-22. And then we're going to prepare for the Lions. That's the upcoming week. Thank you for listening. We are friends. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Fly.